welcome to the Free Cities podcast. My name is Timothy Allen, and this is the official podcast of the Free Cities Foundation. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Free Cities podcast in 2023. Happy New Year to you all. I trust you had a good time over the holiday season and I wish you all the best for the coming year. Today's episode is with a wonderful gentleman by the name of Dushan Matuska. Now, I initially met Dushan in the Czech Republic during the Liberty in Our Lifetime conference. But it wasn't until our paths crossed again in San Salvador that I finally had the chance to sit down with him for an all-too-brief one-hour session before he had to fly off to Roatan in Honduras, where he had recently opened a Bitcoin education center in the Free City Project of Prospera. In this conversation, we talk about Dushan's decision to move to Prospera and how he sees the future of the project in the face of governmental opposition. We also discuss topics such as anarcho-capitalism, alternatives to democracy, personal carbon taxes, and the importance of freedom of movement, in particular with regards to free city projects, and whether or not the freedom to move is even something that is guaranteed to exist in our future. Speaking to Dushan is always a pleasure and I enjoyed our chat immensely. I only wish we could have talked for longer. Meanwhile though, it just leaves me to say to you, please sit back, relax and enjoy my conversation with Dushan Matuska. Okay, so I'm Dusan. Um, I'm from Slovakia, a Bitcoin educator, and I've uh, I've been in the space for about five years now. Okay, and uh, the reason why you're very much relevant to to this podcast is you're actually moving to what I would call at least one of the better or one of the, possibly the best examples of what a free city is or could be, and you're actually moving there. Is that right? That's true. Like uh, in January, I'm going there with my with my girlfriend moving there for at least six months. And uh, and yeah, we, it seems we're going to live there for a while. So let's start at, at, at the beginning. Um, I met you in Prague at the Free Cities Conference. Um, let's start with, can you just rec- recount a, f- a few of your you know, ideas and experiences from, from that conference? Because personally, I had an incredible time there and I was surprised to be honest, I, I didn't really know what it was going to be like, but mm. I definitely definitely didn't think it was going to be that good. So do you have a, any recollections from that conference? I was also really surprised by attendance, by how many people came to really talk and, and discuss the free cities. Um, and I really loved like what was the diversity of the people, you know, from politicians, libertarians, Bitcoiners, um, seasteaders, you know, like all these kind of people that I was just hearing about them uh, in podcasts, now they are meeting together and they are just like 
creating the better future, the better governance platform. So this was super, super cool. Um, and we also did uh, like the, the little meetup in Parallel Polis where the Bitcoiners came and we were doing some videos there. So it was also amazing to see how many people like the idea of Bitcoin there. And I was I was kind of expecting that um, for, you know, for f- people around free cities, Bitcoin will be not that appealing of idea. Uh, but it, it's like it super connects together. It's like it just one cannot exist without the other kind of. So I loved I loved that connection. Yeah, I, I that's the realization I had, I think, that because um, obviously I come from the Bitcoin side of the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, but w- once I dug a little deeper into the free, the free cities idea, it, it seems obvious to me that one can't exist without the other. Um, let's go, I, and I'm going to butcher the word here. It's parallel polis, isn't mm-hmm. it? Parallel polis. Parallel yeah. polis, that's right. true. That's Can correct. you just tell us, parallel, so this was my understanding. Parallel polis is a, well, it's like, a, is it a three or four story building? In yeah, three, four, three stories building. Three story building in, in the center of Prague, a beautiful place, which yeah. uh, as far as I know, was one of the first ever kind of Bitcoin centers in the world. Is that right? That's true. They're operating since... Uh, 2014, and it was actually the first crypto-only cafeteria in the world. So uh, Pearl Police doesn't accept any fiat, anything. You can pay only with crypto. Which is quite incredible. Um, And what was your part in in all that? You seem to be pretty heavily involved in it when we were there. Yeah, so uh, um, I get to know about the idea in 2017, um, and I made a visit there and met the, the founders of the police. And basically, with the founders of the Czech Parallel Police, we founded a Slovak Parallel Police. So I was I was one of the co-founders of the Parallel Police in Bratislava, like a sister organization. So, and just a few words about like what it is, why this weird name? Because people are like, is it Police as a like Police? You know, <laughs> no, it's it's not like that. It's uh, Police as a as a city or in in Greek as a, as a village. So the idea comes from Czechoslovakia in the in the 70s and 80s. And we had a huge oppression at the time, you know, socialism and totalitarianism. And there was a guy uh, with the name of Václav Benda. And he was uh, one of the signature of uh, Chart 77. And he was basically saying, like, we have three options or three ways how we can change things. Uh, First way is to, you know, go into the structures, create a political party and try to change things from within, which doesn't, uh, doesn't help at all. The second one is like you go to the streets and you just protest and you scream to your politicians like, let's change things. And the third one, what he said, this this is the one that we should aim for, is to create a parallel structure, a parallel education system, a parallel financial system. And this is what basically what they were doing in 70s and 80s. So they were teaching kids at home without propaganda from schools and they were doing these afternoon classes for them. They were um, propagating... Um, parallel news around the people, parallel art. And this was the, we call it Parallel Police 0.1. This is how he named it, Parallel Police. And then the Czech uh, artist community with the Slovak hackers, Whitehead hackers, they came, came together and they wanted to revive this idea. So they created this building, they named it Parallel Police like 2.0. And the, the main idea of the place is to show people like how technologies the new technologies like 3D printing and cryptocurrencies can uh, alleviate or like raise the level of, of uh, individual freedom. So this was the whole idea. And I was super 
impressed by by the mission and I, I said like I just want to be part of that so we we founded the Slovak Pearl Police in Bratislava but we need to close down due to COVID but I'm still in a close relationship to them and anytime when I'm in, in Prague I just love to go to Polis and meet the people there so I was excited to do um, during the conference like a little meet up there. Um, obviously we'll come on to this later but you have um, recently just opened a similar building in Prospera which is a you know one of one of our favorite free cities I mean how did you first hear about the free cities movement let's say I think it was last year uh, and it, actually I first heard about Prospera and then about the free cities initiatives all around the all around the place but I was drawn to it even like few years ago when I when I was watching the the documentary or the movie The Rose Island I don't know if, if you if you know that no the oh, Rose Island the Rose Island it's tell me more oh man it's a it's an amazing story it's a, based on a true story uh, from um, from Italy where a guy decided that he will set up his own country his own city his own place outside of uh, territory of, of Italy and at the time, I think it was about 12, mi- 12 miles uh, from the coast where the territorial uh, water started. And he set up like a, like an old pier, you know, like old, um, like a platform on the water. And he started to doing their like parties and they wanted to do like a, like they, they had a separate flag and they wanted to create a ter- ter- territory. And he went to a, to a court, I think it was like, European court uh, in in I don't know in which European city, and he claimed that like this in, um, this is a sovereign place and he want to have his, his own um, his his own flag and territory, and the the Italian government was like freaking out because they they don't know didn't know what to do, and in the end they kind of bombed the place basically they they came there with the ships, uh, and they like were like firing bullets and, and, and stuff on the place and they burn it down and actually what happened afterwards is like after this incident uh, they raised the territorial waters to 50 or 150 miles from the coast so and and this is based on true, true story like check it out like it's called rose island based and, on a true story yeah yeah it really happened it so really he happened. tried to create his uh, uh, sort of an independent state and the government just came in and flattened it basically. yeah 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 basically yeah okay well let, why don't we drill down on that because that's one of the things I, that in all in all these discussions and and that people are having and, and all the things they're building and doing that is kind of like a, a, an elephant in the room yeah i've spoken to a number of people about this I, i'm interested to hear your opinion what is your opinion on the notion that these communities if you track them into the future probably are disempowering to to a state i think i know that at the moment there's no such thing as an independent um, territory within a country they're, mm-hmm. they're they're basically following the laws of the country but creating mainly economic conditions that are different mm-hmm. so what's your view on on the state just coming in and saying right no stop well, I think it will be happening. Um, it's really tough. Uh, also, looking at Prospera, like like they need to show also to the Honduras, like they can, like Prospera can bring a lot of capital, a lot of a lot of uh, a brain power inside, and and they need to show a real case, like empirically, like this is how we are changing the world, uh, of, of or changing the lives of people on the place. So you need to have time 
to build it and you need to have resources until you prove that it makes sense. And during that meantime, then the government might say like, yeah, we don't like it because whatever, there's a foreign capital coming in and taking our lands, you know, whatever the socialist government says, basically. So um, it's kind of tough from my point of view to to navigate for these communities um, in between these political and legal hurdles. Over time, I believe, when the concept will be proven right, and it will, and it's, it's, it's being proven right every day, um, the regular states will become less and less le- relevant. People will be moving to these zones and they will be leveraging all the legal setups in these zones, all the, all the businesses and, and all the capital inside. And I think that the regular states will be slowly like drained out from money and everything is connected, like also Bitcoin as a soundbite that can be printed out. If we move towards this and people will use it, you know, it again, it drains capital, it drains funds from the state back to the people's hands. So I think over time, it cannot happen during one night, basically. We cannot delete the states from today till tomorrow, right? And I think it will be happening over time, over, over decades where the states will be irrelevant and people will know that, oh, I think I'm living in Honduras, but I don't even think about it anymore because I'm interact- I don't interact with Honduras government anymore, right? I interact with regions, with, with various platforms and startup cities and, and all these kind of things, which will be fragmented, which will be more decentralized and you can choose where to go. People will be like the local government or the local uh, cities will be treating you much better than the government. So I think this is how I see the trend going and it just needs some time to prove itself that it, it really makes sense. So there, there's in your decision to move to Prospera, there's no thought of that in your mind that maybe you know, you'll be building something that will be stopped in its tracks. Well, I was I was thinking about it and I was like also weighing these risks, but it's it's so much worse than any risk risk involved. Um, I really want to help out the the whole project. I really want to contribute my part, being the Bitcoin educator and and helping people understand and use Bitcoin. And if something happens and if they would need to close down, which I really doubt, uh, well, we just figure out where to do it next and where to educate people or, or we stay there and and just fight as well. Um, I'm really, really positive about what's happening there. Prospera in general has a super strong legal uh, protection. Uh, currently, they have like 50 years of freedom from Honduras, which basically like there is still some tension, but it's not like the whole government hates them. It's like there are people inside the structures, inside the administrative that already see a huge benefit to what Prospera is doing. So again, I think it need, it just needs time to prove that we are here to help people and not to kind of take your money, take your land and take your resources. It's, I mean, the problem, the political problem that I've seen in talking to people out there is, is a problem that shows the, um, the, the faults in this current system we live in, in as much as Prospera was, the, the idea of the ZAs was implemented during one government. Mm-hmm. And then a few years later, the government changed and the new government are now against them. Yeah. So 
there's it's very hard to well fortunately like you said they they seem to have created about 50 years worth of legal safeguards yeah on top of it but it does actually show the fallacies of of the kind of current system that mm-hmm. you can put all your effort into something and then you can be voted against often by a minority mm-hmm. it's not that um, <laughs> it's even like more than 50% of people not at all right? not at all um and i think that's that's also uh, w- during our time at the conference in Prague, I asked everyone what their view of, of democracy was. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the speakers uh, had roughly the same idea, which was, yeah, democracy is a, is a tricky thing. It doesn't really work. It's, yeah. more, it's mob rule. And, um, you know, most people, be- or a large number of people become disenfranchised by democracy. Mm-hmm. Is that your view as well? Definitely. And I remember the question and I was saying basically the same thing that I believe that there is definitely a better solution to how people interact with each other without um, kind of making the violence an okay thing. Because in democracy where one party decides for the other, it's like there still needs to be violence to to make it happen. And I realized it like few weeks ago when we were on a on a on a trip on, on in, in the woods with my friends with like 12 people on the on, on on the cottage inside of cottage and we were deciding you know where to go to eat uh what what will the program well where we will go to uh, for a hike and just deciding in this small group of people and doing it democratically so that we can agree like where the group will go it was so frustrating and people are like <laughs> I will go with you, but I hate it. Or I will go to eat there, but I don't want to eat there. You know, and I was like, what if we just separate and we just do whatever we want? And we like one group will go that way and whoever wants to follow just goes. Uh, and for me, it was like reminding myself, like, this is exactly why why democracy is is the wrong thing. And and we think that it's it's correct, but we don't see behind the curtain of there is so much violence needed to make it work. And it's not voluntaristic. And we are kind of convinced that this is the best we can do and we cannot have something better. So I definitely believe there is something better and it has to do something with voluntarist approach, non-aggression principle and going more into um, anarcho-capitalist style of, of organization than to, like to centralist style. Do you think that the current iteration of... Um democracy that we see here in our everyday lives do you think it has served a good purpose do you think there was a time and a place for it what you know what how can it be that that it that there are a growing number of people that think that actually it doesn't work i think um i'm not a historian <laughs> i would say but i think there there was a place and and democracy replacing dictatorships or communist and socialist governments is a step to a better direction or it's in, in, in a good direction. Uh, what's happening in a couple of last years, since the technologies are emerging so fast and, and uh, what's happening is like we are kind of getting slowly into this more dystopian democracy where the big brother state has a lot of data on us and it was proven many times the government can misuse the data. They can misuse you know, the media and, and they can control majority of what people think. Um, so this is why I see that it's not going in a good direction if we centralize a lot of power over these structures into just few hands. 
And that's why I would love to see more decentralization in governance models as well, because otherwise it's, it's the same as since I'm from the Bitcoin space, when there is a centralized exchange where which requires all the KYC process and all the people needs to put all their personal data inside. And then the, 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 the exchange goes bankrupt or, or it gets hacked, you know, all the data are flying around the internet. Like it's not, you know, of course the hackers did a bad thing, but first of all, the, the government made the exchange to collect all the data. Why? Because they thought it will help prevent crime? No, it just makes everybody worse because the data are right now misused all around the internet. And I think this is what's happening also with uh, governance structures, gather, gathering so much data that can be misused so easily. And China is showing us how, it's, how to do that, basically. So what do you say then to people that would say that um, c- collecting data on people and on their transactions and on what they're doing is important for the safety of the collective? Um, the data shows it's wrong. And there was a study done on AML policies. Uh, define AML. Uh, anti-money laundering. Anti-money laundering. Yeah. Okay. So number of, like, the percentage of money that was saved compared to how much money was used for the whole structure was 0.1%. So imagine you put, like, $1,000 into that and you just save $1 of money. So Sorry, a- against money laundering, are you saying? So yes. For yeah. every $1,000, AML procedure yeah. discovers $1, $1 of money. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So imagine a, a business that's kind of like losing money. Like you're putting ten, like $1,000 inside and you're, you're getting out $1 of yeah. that. This is what's, what's wrong. Like this is what's happening with these uh, regulations. They are not effective at all. And we are trying to, like people are trying to convince us like, if you go over the legacy system into the banking system, like you're protected. Uh, there are no frauds at all. But the biggest frauds are basically happening inside of the legacy system. There's, there was one bank in, uh, in the Denmark called Danske Bank, which basically laundered $250 billion of money over the legacy system, which would be, which would be like super protected. So it, it doesn't work at all. And if you look at data on the leaks and, and where like the trace of, of these big money, everything goes over, over the legacy system. So it, it simply doesn't work. So, um, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play devil's advocate again then. Even if we find $1 worth of, um, you know, one bad dollar for every thousand we spend, isn't that still good? You're spending thousand dollars that could be spent for like the people could spend on what they really want, and now you need to extract and extort these thousand dollars from people from the from their wealth and put it into these procedures that doesn't work. So again, if if it would be voluntary by people, if they would say, okay, I want to fight AML, I want to fight uh, anti-money laundering, and they will voluntarily put money inside. Of course, that's a free market. Like, let's do it and let's let's make people do the crowdfunding and and you know fight this thing. And they would re- soon realize, like, oh, this is such a waste of money because it it simply doesn't work. So everything, like, because we can say the same thing about taxes, about whatever. Like, if we extort billions from people by force and we put it into something that you know we make, I don't know, uh, one person 
educated or a thousand person educated, isn't it a good thing? I don't think so. Because in the first place, you needed to extort the money out. If we do it by crowdfunding, if we do it by voluntarist approach, that's where it makes sense because people decide with their own money where to vote, where to put their money. And I think this is the system that I would like to see and this is the system I, I'm supporting. Here's a, here's a, a thought experiment then. Um, say that in, at some point in the future we have many little satellites of free economic re regions, free cities, and they're all implementing their own rules and regulations. Isn't it true that you would then get some places which would be hotbeds of, um, you know, crime and money laundering? And is that something that would happen? I'm just thinking it through. Like, you know, sure, I'm going to choose to go to the place where I feel everything's fair and mm -hmm. right and good. But I don't think you ever get rid of criminal activity. It's part of human nature. There's yeah. a percentage of people that will always ad adopt that kind of tactic. So do you think, is that a future where there are these places, these kind of criminal free cities or something? Is that something that could happen? Well, in a, in a free world, I think that might happen. But the thing is like, who would like to live there on the first in the, in the first place, right? Uh, because if people are free to move and they don't have they are not kind of rooted inside of that place and if there's a huge criminality something's going to happen it's not like there is criminality and it stays that way either the the city if if the city wants to keep the people inside they will deal with that somehow because they know that people will be going out and if they want to keep this criminal um atmosphere there well okay but it's like I don't I don't see this as a, as a viable long term um, thing for people. And if, if if anybody can decide where to live, who would who would like to live in these kind of places? I suppose uh, just taking that thought further, I think probably those places would be white collar criminal hangouts, and they'd probably be very nice. To, to, they'd be very <laughs> luxurious uh -huh. and very closed with large walls around them. <laughs> yeah, that might also happen. Like. Uh, it's it's a, it's a nice thought experiment. Like the more I'm thinking about um, the freedom and like the anarcho-capitalistic societies, I need to kind of run into arguments in my head where I I don't agree with the way of living. I don't agree with some of the values, but I'm still getting underneath. And the value of, of people interacting with with each other on a free basis it's more important for me than if somebody decides to take drugs or if there's some criminal activity because it's it's also can be solved through different mechanics of of a free market like reputation systems and arbitration centers and and the private security companies so it's it's super hard to you know extract one topic of criminality from from the whole um, system that kind of works like it's it's interconnected so much that you cannot just extract one thing and, and say like, oh, but how would this thing work in crypto or in, in our capitalistic society? You cannot tell that because it's like programming the free market, which you cannot do. You, you cannot predict what would happen. But I'm a huge believer in free market. And so far, everything shows that if we have free market, if we had free market without centralistic forces, free market solved itself. Okay, then uh, I'm, uh, one thing I've picked up on what you've just been saying is that this system requires the free movement. 
it, it, it needs the ability to have to be able to vote with your feet. Yeah. Obviously, that is something that is is a bit of a hot topic at the moment. I mean, this time last year, many people around the world were forced to stay in their own houses. Mm. Um, so I want to ask you about free movement. And there's two two things that, that concern me. One is lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even carbon ta- personal carbon tax, person, you know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And the other one um, is is free movement's easy when you're sort of a single person with no responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know this from first experience because I have a young family and we did go on a citadel hunt. I've actually, I spent a year with my family traveling around Central America. Nice. During this time of the pandemic when we were noticing, wow, this is pretty serious. Mm-hmm. And um, in the end, with a family, it's a much tougher decision to say, okay, let, let's just settle on this tropical island in Honduras. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not as easy. So, so there's the, the two elements there to free movement that must be concerning people. Um, what's your view on, on those? Start with the idea that um, we may not even have free movement um, in the future. Yeah, I, I read, I think, yesterday on Twitter there was something related to um, like G20, there was a G20 meeting and they decided that there should be like permanent or like mandatory uh, vaccine passports. And it's like, oh my God, it's 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 not going in a good direction. So I'm, it's hard to, it's hard to look at that and have a lot of positivity and optimism. Um, what I'm, let's say, optimistic about is that there is, how I see that is that there is some kind of level where people can be pushed. And under that level, there is like, it's like in trading, you have like a pl- like a price floor, right? So under that, nobody wants to sell. So there's like, it's it's a resistance and it, it goes up with a price. I, I feel that there is something with with like how f- far people will be, will be pushed and and are willing to be pushed and under that like they say like not at all and they're going to go to streets they're going to do revolution they're going to find different ways to go around that and so this is I'm, i'm a believer in that even if the governments will be getting there like there is some kind of level where people will just say like no more and everybody has on a personal level has different the bar is on a different you know height i would say Somebody already said, like, I will not get vaxxed and I will not, I will just move out of the country and whatever. Some people are like complying, but they will not comply till the end. So um, I'm thinking about like, even if the pressure to not travel around will be bigger and bigger, like somewhere it needs to break where people just like, like not at all. And they are, they will leave or they will just go away. Um, and on the, on the, on the level of, of the family, since I'm not married yet and I don't have kids, so it's for me it's hard to say that. But I definitely agree with you that it's much, much harder with, with a family. It's it's much more costly, it's more expensive, it's more logistically heavy to do that. And again, it just, in my mind, it just creates the level or it just puts your pressure point or breaking point a little bit lower and when the government presses here, then you say like, okay, I'm just taking my whole family and we are going away. Right? And, well, and I have a perfect example of what you're talking about here because 
yesterday I spent the day with some friends of ours that we met while we were in El Salvador. Mm-hmm. I brought my family here for you know six weeks. And they are Canadians with three young kids, almost mm-hmm. identical ages to mine, who are now applying for residency here. Simply because the, the wife was a nurse, mm-hmm. she decided she didn't want to take the vaccine, and she was sacked for it. <laughs> and um, they, ha- they left, they sold up, they actually voted with their feet, mm-hmm. to the point where they went back for a wedding a few months ago and were fined just over, I think, $12,000 entering the country, refusing to take a PCR test coming in. No way. Because, and this is what I've noticed about people who make a stand. Um, it doesn't matter whether you think the vac- vaccination was a good or bad. Mm-hmm. If you decided you didn't want to take it, which many people did, and then you were being coerced and forced to, that's when people started to, to stand up. Yeah. Not for the actual vaccine itself, because, you know, you could. I've heard compelling arguments both ways mm-hmm. for the vaccination. I haven't heard compelling arguments for forced vaccination yeah. both ways, though, and and, exactly. and sacking people and not allowing them to travel on public transport, which was the case in Canada of mm-hmm. all places. So um, yeah, I, I I'm very nervous about those that myself. Talking of the G20 as well, I saw something as well, which was someone. I don't know who it was, but they had a lot of World Economic Forum mm-hmm. logos behind them <laughs> talking about the personal carbon tax oh, in, yeah. in a very matter-of-fact way. And that's my worst fear, I think, because mm-hmm. um, the the carbon tax um, idea is very compelling if you are the kind of person who wants yeah. to, inverted commas, save the planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very strong leverage point for people because they think, wow, save the planet. And mm-hmm. then they just stop there. And, um, you know, the, the, the current um, technological, the level of technological advancement we have in the world has reached that point where it could implement this thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Is that something you think about? Uh, I don't think about it a lot in a sense that kind of preparing on that or what I, what I do is like right now moving to Prospera, uh, trying to find a place which will be more safer or more, more, more free to live. Um, and yeah, whatever it happens, I think it might happen in EU the, the first, because that's kind of really positioned well for, for this kind of stuff. And I don't want to be living there when it happens. And it, and re- it really might happen. So what I want to do to contribute not, <laughs> not to happen is like um, educating people like what it is and why it's wrong. And, and opening their eyes with Bitcoin, with freedom, with, with all these topics. Um, I don't want to go to, you know, to do a protest or to, to, you know, go into the politics and change it from within. What I can do is, is show why it's wrong. Um, I don't think I personally can stop that agenda. And it, everything seems that it's going that direction. And it's, it's a huge mess if it happens. It's like... And many people are like super compliant with, as you said, like because saving the planet is like the highest goals for them. And like the lowest carbon tax or the, the lowest carbon footprint is that when you die, basically. So <laughs> you can push it, you can push it so much that some people, some extremists, even they, they commit suicide, whatever, because they say, let's save the planet. And this is so messed up. This is so messed up. So there are, I know some people that already say like, I don't want to bring kids to this world, you know, I don't want to create more footprint or like 
bring them here. I was like, that's so sad, man. That's so sad when I'm listening to them. Um, so as soon as possible, I think we need to show that you can live differently, that this this is wrong, thinking this way. And we need to show compelling, real examples of how you can do it. And when we are speaking about the movement, the freedom to move, what comes together with that is like you need to have your wealth movable as well. And that's where Bitcoin comes in place as a, as a piece of puzzle for you to really make your personal freedom freedom higher to move with your family anywhere because you have your wealth in 12 words in your head. So, uh, yeah, and and these carbon footprints, like, yeah, it's one of the worst uh, things that, that might happen. Unfortunately, I'm with you. I think it's, um, I, I, I suppose I would never say inevitable, mm-hmm. but it does appear to be so because it's so easy to implement. Yeah. And, and it makes that the steps towards something like a personal carbon tax are very simple. Mm-hmm. It's not a convoluted journey for mm-hmm. many people. And some banks are already doing that, I think. I saw some statistics, I think it was from bank applications based on what you're buying, like what's your score in, in carbon, like how much carbon did you produce or whatever this thing. And again, that's just one simple step to you know implement some policy behind it. Or you can just buy this kind, this amount of meat per week. Uh, because if we're going to have CBDCs, or when we're going to have CBDCs, and you connect these things together, then you cannot buy with your digital money from the bank. You cannot buy the, the, the meat because you over-exceeded the amount for a week. And this is like black mirror dystopia. Yes. If, if you saw the, the, the series. So, yeah, it's crazy. And... Like Bitcoin kind of gives me hope in, in all this mess where, where like when I go to the conferences like this, adopting Bitcoin or whatever around the world, I see people that like they they give a fuck. They they really want to change things and they will not be oppressed. And they the, the, their threshold, their breaking point was already um, like breached. Breached, yeah. Uh, and they are doing the things to really for themselves not to be oppressed and teaching people how to do it as well. So this kind of gives me the the orange light hope in in all this mess. Like we finally have a tool that cannot be stopped like this. And and with the tool we can open up a lot of people's eyes to not only bitcoin, not only finance in general but but to more broader reach like what whatever we're speaking right now. And uh, something I I suppose I have learned through being in the bitcoin movement is that of what protest actually is. I think in the same way that, um, um, you know, my, my, my opinion on, on many things has changed over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that protesting is something you do to the people in charge, which now seems like a ridiculous idea to me. Yeah, and and um, it's one thing I'd, I mean, I, I was a journalist in London for seven years and I covered protests Big ones, violent ones, you know, big, you know. um, And they were, when you're in the middle of it, you think, wow, something's really happening here. Mm -hmm. I remember there was a movement called Reclaim the Streets, which was um, a huge movement. And one time I was, you know, the people... People stormed the stock exchange in London oh. and were fighting traders on escalators going what? up. There, pieces of paper <laughs> flying everywhere and stuff, right? And fuck? and when you're there, this is me in my sort of 30s, early 30s, thinking, oh my God, this is the world's changing, you know. Uh-huh. 
And then the next day, the, the newspaper I worked for sent me down the next morning to, to sort of photograph the may, what was left. Mm-hmm. And it was already cleared up. You know, even like the, nothing happened. Yeah, the graffiti was already being rubbed off the walls. You know, within oh, wow. within forty eight hours, there was no sign of this thing. Oh. But it never occurred to me to think that a protest doesn't work if you're protesting to the people that make the rules, um, which is what I love about d- the, uh, doing a deep dive on Bitcoin. You mm-hmm. realize that something like Bitcoin is a is a is a a genuine protest, a peaceful protest. Yeah. Well, it's not even. Uh, it, it doesn't. It's not even anything. It's just <laughs> you're 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 by adopting a parallel reality. Mm-hmm. You're you're making a protest against the reality which you don't agree with. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that's that's the beautiful thing about it. I many times use a like a slide on my presentations, and when I'm speaking in the end of presentation about Bitcoin and how is it a, a peaceful protest, and I use a slide of of like. Uh, a guy putting like a flower to a guns on a like when it was a police with the guns he's like was putting like a flower inside of that and and this kind of gives me the the analogy of just fighting the system with like not fighting violently but but just defunding the system or like going in a parallel way without like you stop you start to ignore that you say like okay that's that was the the legacy system and i want to live in a different world so you're kind of like with your energy, with your actions, you're creating this new world and not putting energy into even fighting the old one. So this is what like it's 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 a huge game changer for me and, and seeing that in practice and how it works, how it really works every day, every year, people more and more people getting in and, and more these institutions are afraid, you know, to lose power without anybody, you know, going to the street and fighting them on the streets with that, but just stacking sets this kind of gives me like hope, like this is the correct way. One of the problems with the, the human condition, I think, let's say, is that you can be in a room full of amazing people discussing ways to, to, to change the world. And if there's one guy in the room shouting his head off about something else, mm-hmm. everyone gets distracted mm. and starts listening to that guy, mm-hmm. even if they've got the worst ideas. <laughs> and and I, I feel a little bit like that about the current system. Mm-hmm you know, the current system is loud and brash mm-hmm. and it keeps you sucked in and, yeah. and with force and violence and all these things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you historically you could look back and say, yeah, many peaceful protests didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose the the hope here is that the technology of Bitcoin didn't exist before. And, yeah. and I think a lot of people don't fully acknowledge the how important that sovereign money is in, in, in this whole predicament we find ourselves yeah, in. Yeah, like for humanity in general, like every time it was, and, and it's, it's super important, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, if you're, if, you're, if you're in charge of the money printer, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. You can invade Iraq without anyone's permission. Yeah. You can quell, quell or quash anything, any uprising you wish. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's a super, super important part of this equation. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your what you're doing on, on um, Rotan in Prospera. Mm-hmm. So what we started there is a Bitcoin education center. Um, we got, I got really inspired by Parallel Police in, in Prague and what we are doing in, in Bratislava for a couple of years. And I was really thinking about like, 
starting this kind of place again somewhere in Central America, but I had like no idea where. And I randomly learned about Roatan last year. I had no idea it's, it exists. Uh, I had no idea it's it's here in Caribbean. So what happened? My 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 friend told me about it, and uh, he was sending me pictures of like beautiful beaches and places. I was like, okay, I need to go and see. And and he told me like that the second largest community on the islands are Czech, which you know we used to be friends, like not friends, but like a brothers, Czech and Slovakia. Why is why is that? That's a bit unusual. It's the second largest community, well, outside of the local community, um, outside of uh, like the, the first largest ex- expat community is Americans, and the second one is Czechs. Why is that? Yeah, that's so weird. And the reason for this is like there used to be a Czech brewery on the island. So there was one guy from Czech Republic. He was an artist in in New York, and he got into communication with uh, the local government and made a deal that he will start a brewery there because the Honduras wanted to have like a Czech beer. He wanted to do something on the island. So the Czech brewery came out. It's, it, it was a beautiful building, really lovely. It still exists on the island of Roatan, but it's kind of breaking down a little bit. And the brewery was running for a couple of years, and then Heineken came and they, they pushed down the prices. So the, the brewery needed to go out, like went out of business. But the Czechs guys stayed there, and they started to do development. They started to build houses because they were really good at it. And slowly over time, that they, they, there exists right now the Czech village. <laughs> so like there's a dozens of, of houses, Czech village with a like Czech pub <laughs> where every other week there is a guy playing banjo or playing guitar, singing like Czech songs. <laughs> it's so random. It's so beautiful. So when I, when I heard this, I was like, I need to go and check that out. And at the time, I had no idea about Prospero. So we came to, I came to the island. We were just, you know, going west and east and enjoying the beauty. And the, the island is beautiful. And then at the time, there was like a Prospera summit going on. I had no idea what it is. So I opened the website of Prospera. And my first impression was like, oh, this is some kind of crypto scammy thing. Because in, you're in, in Caribbean, you have a bunch of these Satoshi islands that kind of pretend to change the world and stuff. So I was really skeptical, but I said like, okay, the summit is happening 1st of April, I'm there, so I will just go and see that. So I went and I was super surprised by people being being there and buildings being built around and that it wasn't only vision on the paper, but it was really happening. So I heard, I heard the presentations, I was super excited. We had the opportunity as well to present our ideas with which we would like to develop on the island. So I presented... Um, our idea of the Bitcoin Education Center. And Eric Brimman was sitting in, in front. I At the time, I had no idea who he is. So he told me, like, Dushan, I like the idea. So what are you doing afternoon? I was like, well, I'm going to snorkel with my girlfriend. He's like, okay, before you go snorkel with your girlfriend, I will take you to a building. And if you like the building, it can be ready for you from July. You can build your center here. I was like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. And the building is is the top view of the whole island. It's it's beautiful, and you've been there, like it's astonishing. It's it's astonishing building. It's astonishing view. And I came there. We we spoke with Eric about libertarian ideas for 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 an hour about objectivism, about Ayn Rand, Atlas Shrugged, and all these all these ideas that I I love and I, I really am connected to that, and that's my values. And and he gave me this opportunity, so I said like, wow. That's amazing. So let's let's do it here, and everything just came together. Um, the the people around Prospera, 
the, the vision of Prosperous as free city and, and Central America as, as a nice hub for Bitcoin projects. The, the island, as we were searching with my girlfriend, a place where to spend our next maybe years. Um, so everything came together and it was like, let's do it here. So we founded that. Um, it's called Amity Age Academy, uh, the Bitcoin center of Roatan. And what we do there, like we are really having a place where people can come and learn about Bitcoin. Also on a practical level to buy it in the ATM, set up a wallet, pay with it for their coffee and get the whole process into their hands and like really see that it's working and it's working really well. We're doing academies, we're helping businesses to accept Bitcoin on the island. So we're really aiming to make Roatan the Bitcoin island of Caribbean with our activities. And also inside of Prospera, uh, we, we are helping businesses as well as people to kind of get on the rails of Bitcoin. So because in Prospera, you don't have any capital gains on Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin is de facto legal tender there. there like basically, there's no legal tender in Prospera per se. But so you can pay your taxes with Bitcoin as well. So and for people to coming in and they're you know interested, we, we, we want to give them tools to really do it practically and, and know how as well on security levels and how to avoid scams and all these kind of things. So so this is our this is our like idea behind and and we are like two months uh, into it and having an opening party uh, soon <laughs> tomorrow, basically. So, uh, so yeah, everything is just starting and we are putting a lot of energy into it and, and I'm super excited about where it can go. I, I, I'll just, for people listening, I'll describe the place because, you know, I mean, Google it, you, you might be able to find some pictures of it. It's not that well known about yet, is it? Yeah. But it's, like Dushan said, it's on a hill um, and it's got a beautiful balcony all the way around with views up to the sea on both sides it's kind of like between it's in the middle of the island yeah. you can see both coasts yeah exactly um inside it's like cathedral height ceilings <laughs> um with a beautiful yeah this is a beautiful place to work and then there's another level upstairs you can go to where there is a um a kind of roof terrace with uh must be about a 300 degree view all the way around yeah, yeah. of the whole of the coast the caribbean i mean it, I've been to a few of the Bitcoin, um, what do you call them, physical nodes of the network. Citadels. The yeah. citadel, yeah. <laughs> like, and, and up until this point, I think uh, Bitcoin Park in Nashville was, was my favorite. But, mm -hmm. um, but this place is definitely a, a high contender because Bitcoin <laughs> Park doesn't have a view. <laughs> it's bigger and it's got more facilities, but okay. it doesn't have a view. I need uh, to go and check it out. It's, it sounds really Bitcoin Park. Uh -huh. Oh, it's phenomenal, mate. Yeah. It's, um, but I mean, the theory is the same. It's just happening on a grander scale. It's in Nashville. Mm -hmm. It's now the hub of all the Bitcoin things going on in Nashville. But well. it was a former, I think it was a former, belonged to a country and Western band. It's two big old colonial houses next to each other, mm -hmm. which meant they had a recording studio in there. They, they had, so there's podcasts coming out of there. Mm -hmm. There was films, uh, like film editing suites. And it's just, it's incredible. I went to, I st spent six weeks in Nashville this wow. year and um, went to meetups there. And also because it's America, when they have a meetup, it's like a, a Bitcoin conference. You get very high value <laughs> people just speaking, you wow. know, like it's one of the big centers in, 
in America. Uh -huh. So as a result, that's where everyone goes. And I think you could do the same thing here, I suppose. Um, that's what we, want, we are planning to do, like uh, really be for Central America, one of the places, one of the nodes where we're gonna where we're gonna do the um, the conferences and workshops and where the community can meet, and and that's our goal to have a place to like a, like a basement for people to to come to work to, to to co-work there, have a good coffee, have a good food there, so and meet new Bitcoiners, meet meet fellow Bitcoiners. So that's that's our goal to really that's what we want to do from the academy. So talk a little bit about what's happening in the rest of Prospera because um, I was very excited to see what's going on there. And one of the things about having a Bitcoin center is you need you need people to attend it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's fair to say Prospera has a, has currently has a problem in places to stay mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. Prospera itself. Everything's full. Yeah. Um, the the part of the new side of Prospera that they're building that did have accommodation, they had to relinquish that for businesses because there were so many businesses that wanted to come. Mm -hmm. And now they're building a, the tower, yeah. this 14-story tower with like, I don't know how many places to stay. There's going to be a lot already. And then there's going to be more and more and more. So what was your experience looking around um, Prospera? So we're currently living inside of Prospera. Um, we have we rented a villa there in Pristine Bay in the in the resort that the Prospera bought. Um, but as you say, like there is not so many places where, where you can choose from. Like you can go to the villas, or you can wait for the dune residents to 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 finish. So um, currently there is like a couple of dozens people like really living there and and working inside of Prospera. In the beta building, there is about, I don't know, about 50, 60 people working there in the in the whole building, in the co-working space. And yeah, so uh, so related to, to, to accommodation, it's it's being developed. Like um, Prospera is, is right now open to developers to buy lands inside of, of, of uh, the Pristine Bay or, or on the on the Prospera site. And uh, they can build up the the residential area as well. So uh, there are already some talks with some, some larger companies to do that. But yeah, you, you basically need to uh, build both sides. Like you need to build the, the business side. So because people will not go there if you don't have nothing to, to do there, right? So first, first of all, you need to have like a nice resort, place to stay, place to eat. And then you can build residential and then like, you need to grow both sides or both you need to balance it out right so when when right now the first tower of dune residence will be finished and people can get in that can create that creates a lot of you know uh, good incentive for new businesses to come in because they can they already have customers you know so more restaurants more groceries and and facilities where people can really spend time so it's it's everything it's quite still new in a way that um it's it's being developed, but it's going super fast. I was there first time in March this year, and the beta building was like not even there. Uh, there was just like some groundwork being being done, and right now it's all, almost finished. The first the, the I first think tower it is finished. Yeah, I as think they, they, they put the, the top level I think a few days ago, and and right now they will be like putting things inside. So yeah. It's it's going so fast, and also there is a, a like a circular factory next to the beta building being built, which is also going quite fast. Um, so a lot of work on 
on the spot is being done there. Um, and I, I'm super positive on that. What I loved about the um, the factory they're building there, what is it called? The, circu- the cir- circular factory. The circular yeah. factory is that they're going to install robots in there. Yeah. They're going to print their own building materials. That's true. If that isn't the future, I don't know what <laughs> it is. It's like, that's <laughs> very futuristic. It's super futuristic. And I heard that there, there are like three or four of these robotic arms in Central America and Mexico. And two of them, two of them are in Prospera and one or two of them are in Mexico. So there's none other other ones and like the arms should be like building materials for this like the, the organic looking uh, or materials on buildings from the local sources local resources and it's it will be done in a way that it will be behind like a glass glass wall and in front there will be like a, a pub or, or like a cafeteria so you can enjoy your coffee while watching how your house is being built yeah and this is this mechanism there was some astonishing in astonishingly interesting projects there. Another one that, that I spoke to the guys there about was um, uh, a building which would be a sort of framework building that you can change the layout of the building inside very easily. Mm-hmm. So you could move into a place or you could business could move in, but you could rearrange the layout of the place. Like, you know, they're these kind of, I think it was some. It, I mean, these were. I think this is going to be three D printed, but kind I don't of know walls, movable. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, when I was there, I was listening to all these ideas, thinking, as I thought when I first heard about Prospera, I was. I was thought, is this just some guy or girl <laughs> creating an idea and, yeah. and and sort of like, you know, like developing a city in their mind that isn't actually going to exist? Yeah. Um, but it appears that it is. It really is, and that, and I agree. There's going to be a, there's, you're going to be able to drink a coffee whilst watching a robot, 3D print building materials. Yeah. I mean, I, I uh, that was a new one to me. In <laughs> on a tropical island in Honduras as well. Yes, you would it's never. It's not in that. Dubai, in the middle of Dubai, or somewhere like that. Yeah, it's, yeah. You it's would cool. never expect that. That's that's true. And and Prosper is experimenting with um, like a drone delivery systems, um, personal like drone vehicles. So. A bunch of really, really cool and futuristic stuff is already, you know, like companies are coming and testing things inside of Prospera. So I'm really bullish on like, this is really a place where I would like to be and and, and like interact with people there and, and just watch what's happening. You know, it, it we used to have or we had a, a health tech summit there and, and really companies... Sorry, what was that? Health, health, health summit. Health summit. All oh, right. Health, yeah. health tech summit. So there were there were biotech companies coming inside of Prospera and and presenting what they're doing with like gene therapy and like reverse gene therapy and all this stuff. And they are setting up their like companies inside of Prospera right now. And when I was speaking to these guys, what they want to do inside, I was blown away by the level of of uh, research that they already done in US, but they're kind of blocked by all the regulation and it takes so much time just to, you know, comply or like, fight the bureaucracy and they can do it much faster inside of Prospera. So so this was for me really, really fascinating to see. So it's not only on the construction level, but on a financial level with, with Bitcoin innovation, with, with health tech innovation. So yeah, so many various industries are like flocking in and, and ex- experimenting how to really benefit of the free governance model. And I, that's the important word here, the free governance model, I think, because... Um, there are undoubtedly 
undoubtedly be people who will listen to this and go, yeah, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. It's not really what I want to do. Yeah. And that's the point. You know, we all hope one day there will be something you mm-hmm. want to do. But unless the opportunity is there to try it, yeah. you'll never know. Exactly. And, and the beauty is that, that you can decide to go in or you don't need to. Nobody forces you to. You need to also when you're entering Prospera as a, as a e-resident, you need to sign the contract to opt in. Also, when when uh, uh, the Pristine Bay was bought, like they were the, the some of the houses were already privately owned and they didn't become immediately like part of Prospera. They can kind of opt in and they can stay in Honduras legislation or they can opt into Prospera. So as you said, it's it's about like it doesn't need to be for everybody. People can decide to move in or they can create their own structures somewhere else. But it's about like creating competition on the governance level. This is what I think is super important because if we eliminate competition, we are eliminating innovation. We are kind of eliminating freedom uh, a lot, making prices higher, effectivity lower, quality lower. So also in the governance level, we need to have competition. This is for me super important. Do you think many people around the world care about this as we do? Uh, yes, and I was convinced by that on in Prague on the conference and people from around the world and in just doing their work around the world as well, inspiring from each other. So there is a lot of people already concerned working on that. And again, I'm, I'm really, really bullish on that. And I want to just take some time in a couple of years to just travel all around these economic zones and, and just see what people are building in their own communities and how they are interacting with each other. So, yeah, more and more people are like really interested. And and I think COVID accelerated that and made people think about, okay, should I live where I live right now or do I want to live at this place with this kind of uh, governance model or I can look somewhere else or I can help to build something else. So I think that was an accelerator to to make sure that people really care about new governance models. Um, I, my final question now, I know you're in 20 minutes, you've got to go to the airport to fly to Prospero, is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, I should exactly. mention we're actually in El Salvador at the yeah. moment, which there are direct flights to Prospero. Yeah, from right. exactly. And I hear they're starting direct flights from Europe to, 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 to Roatan, the island. Yes, yeah, that's true. Um, it's not starting yet. It should be done next year, but we will see because they need to prolong uh, the the airport so that the larger flights, the larger air, uh, airplanes can go from Frankfurt or Madrid. So it should be done next year, but what I heard is like it's being discussed for a year or two already. So we will see. But if that happens, the connection from, from EU it's, or from Europe is amazing. Currently, many flights from America. Yeah, Miami, from America, from New Canada. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so my last question is this, and this is a question we ask all our guests mm-hmm. um, on the show. No wrong or right answer. Um, I want you to imagine you have a sabbatical of one year. <laughs> now, during that sabbatical, you have your, your expenses are covered. You don't have to worry about money. You don't have to worry about where you go, what you do. It's all paid for. What do you do? What do I do? I travel around the world and educate people about Bitcoin. That's what I feel that I'm, I just love doing and, and I find any opportunity I can to do it without, 
you know, need to to gather money from that. Um, so yeah, I would just travel and meet the communities, meet different Bitcoiners, and just spread the word, spread the Satoshi's word. That's what I would do. How can you convince someone who doesn't understand Bitcoin as to why you would be prepared to work for nothing to spread the word of Bitcoin? How I would convince them to to uh, work for it, or no? How would you convince them? How would you convince them to understand that there are people all around the world prepared to work for nothing? Mm-hmm. To spread the word of this thing like once you got the the values or once you got the mission behind and once you get the idea of we need to have a sound money and how how much benefit it can bring to society um you just don't want to do anything else you just want to work on the mission of separating money and state and that's that's the mission of bitcoin fantastic and i i think it's a wonderful mission so Thanks for doing what you do and, and thanks for coming on the podcast, Dushan. It's very great to see you again. Thank you, Tim. I will certainly see you in um, in Prosper again. Uh, we've got plans to come over again and have another look round. Yeah, come anytime, man. I would love to see you there. Mm-hmm.